What's up? Season kickoff podcast, UB Bulls, about to get underway. And I'm once again joined by my good friend and broadcast uh, buddy, Scott Wilson, um, as we're getting set for the UB Bulls to take on the Maryland Terrapins and get this 2022 season started. My first thought is that we're finally back to normal, right? It's like a couple of years ago was crazy. Last year, there were all these protocols you had to deal with, and we're going into different states and stadiums where they have different mask rules and all this stuff. And it's like, you know what? That stuff is over, except for the fact that I'm not going on this trip because uh, two and a half years in, I just got COVID like three, four days ago. So I can't go, I can't travel. I feel okay. I'm a little stopped up. I'll be fine. Um, so I'm going to miss this trip. But just when I thought it was going to be normal, we're just going to go and it's going to be football season. I can't do it, man. I can't do it. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. It sucks um, to not have you there. You, you'll be uh, you'll be chiming in from your basement, though, right? Well, yeah. Game parts yeah. of it. Yeah, maybe even the game. You know, I was thinking about it. We um, typically my role is I host the pregame show, um, and then I I just kind of there with a microphone. You and Paul handle the heavy lifting, but I'll like bring it back to a break and tell you that UB football is brought to you by Pepsi or something, and then I'll tell you the scoring recaps and that kind of stuff. I think I can do that. We did it for the Mac championship game because you guys went to Detroit and I stayed in Buffalo Yes, and it, yeah. it worked. So basically for me, this is like, I'm into full on quarantine in my basement, but I've got the equipment set up to just watch the bulls play on a 10 foot screen and talk to you from a recliner. So I think I'm going to do that. That seems like the way to go. And then hopefully be back to normal for the home game next week and, and hit the road uh, the following week. Cause I'm going to Myrtle beach, man. Like, I don't know protocols, rules, New York state, what the school thinks I'm going to coastal Carolina in a couple of weeks. So I gotta, yeah, we gotta get this. Yeah, thing but I'll be, we'll be all right. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's not only going to be a bit of a return to normal as far as there's probably not going to be somebody standing outside of our booth for road games, telling us to put a mask on. Right. When we have to go get a drink of water yeah. or go to the bathroom and you're like, dude, I'm crossing the hall, but okay. And there's nobody All else right. here except for you. You're the only one. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, it's also going to be a little bit of a return to normal for football, because if you remember for the bulls, they had the COVID shortened season played like four less games than most of the rest of the country. And were so good. They were still ranked in the top 25. And then Les Miles got found out for being a creep. And it, randomly in the offseason, in like April, Lance Leipold leaves. Yeah. Coach Mo gets hired a couple of days later. And then it's 100 days to the season. So this is the first time in two seasons that the head coach is actually going to have a spring practice a full off season, a full off season of work and conditioning with a strength team that, that that's in there and nutrition staff and with a, like a full coaching staff. Yeah, that's <laughs> like nice. it's, it's, yeah, it's going to be, I think a big factor. And I think it was a big factor last year. You talk about a hundred days, you're putting, bringing in coaches. Then you have to also deal with the fact that last year they had to deal with losing six starters and all conference type players to yeah. Kansas yeah, that late in the going as well. So you can't really replace them uh, um, that reliably that late in, in the game before the season. And because there's no spring practice, they, they kind of had to 
go half and half, half of what they wanted to do and half of what had been going on so that you're not totally swamping your team. And it just, by the end of the season, felt like they couldn't recapture what they were doing and they hadn't yet grasped what they want. Yeah. And, and the circumstances tough- and now, and now they can finally have that first full year for the first time in two seasons to, Hey, let's actually get ready for a season. Yeah. And you also have to remember not only did, you know, let's say there are a hundred players in the program. It's, it's around there. Um, you lost, first of all, you lose players to graduation and lack of eligibility. Then you lose players to Kansas. Then you lose players who just, they didn't sign up for this. They signed up to play for Lance. He's not here anymore. This guy's a different style coach. This doesn't work for me. And then you got the guys who stick around and take a little while to realize, Hey, this isn't what I signed up for. So I think there was some confusion within the entire program this year. It should be an entire crew of people who want to be here and understand what the goals are. Now, unfortunately, very often year number two, for a new head coach. And this is almost year one and a half, but year number two for a new head coach is very difficult because he's starting to build the, the, the foundations of what he's trying to do, but maybe those players aren't ready to participate yet. So you still got the leftover guys that are playing the more critical roles. It just gets all muddled. It usually takes a couple of years. So I worry, you know, even thinking as well as things went with Lance Leipold year two under Lance was a disaster. Um, it, yeah, was, it was, it was, not building, good. That was building to something obviously. And it, it, it went really well afterward, but year two was dicey. So there are a lot of traps and pitfalls to avoid for Mo Linguist here in, in year number two. Yeah. And, and like you said, technically it's year number two, but he has said it in press conferences here in the off season. I think that we've said it a couple of times and you just said it again. It, technically it's their second year. And when you look at the record book in 20 years, you're going to see this is year two. But if you're, really kind of paying attention it's not it, it really isn't this is his first full recruiting class coming in um usually when you get hired let's say you get hired in december you can cobble together a lot of your own guys and bring them in um he wasn't able to do that and with his first class it ranked number one in the conference which had never been done for us before yeah. so that's a positive and the other thing is that's really, I think, going to change the way we start looking at at that second year is the transfer portal, which is something that Lance could only access by way of immediate transfers for graduate students only. So if you remember back then, people were trying to graduate in three years and trying to get those extra two years. Well, now they can just go whenever. So the new guys that are part of Mo's, you know, quote unquote, my guys that are coming in to add to a pretty solid foundation that was already here, while they are new to the program, they are not new to college football. Right. So there's a little bit less of a breaking in that has to go on there that I think definitely works in the Bulls' favor. Uh, this year, you look at how they have totally revamped the secondary. We're talking corners, safeties. The guys that are coming in all have played college football at power five teams. They are not freshmen. 
like we saw Lance come in and say, I'm starting the young guys uh, in year two, and it's going to pay off by year three and a half. And year three and a half came and they started winning every game yeah. <laughs> for like two, three years. I, I'm not sure yet. There's a lot of question marks about how it looks now in the new environment in college football and with a new coach, but he's able to come in this year and add to a really good young recruiting class and bolster it with these guys that have played power five football that are coming in and ready to play immediately. And I think it's going to work to their advantage here this year. And that's just kind of the way it's going to be from now on. It, you're probably not at UB going to see a five-year starter or a five-year player where they redshirt the first year and start for four years. It's probably not going to happen anymore. If they're that good, by the time they're a senior, they're probably going to go power five. I mean, half of the offensive linemen in the Big 12 are former UB offensive linemen right now. <laughs> like Kansas's O-line, um, Baylor, uh, Missouri's got uh, Bensi Polgar, who was the center, starting center last year. Like it's, it's just kind of the way it is right now in college football, where there's that free agency type of feel where guys can just pick up and leave whenever they want to. And this is going to have to be the new reality. Is there any positive uh, that comes out of that for a team uh, at the level of UB or any other team in the Mac? Is there anything good about that? I mean, I know you mentioned the guys that are coming in. Let me take a step back guys that are coming in. A, they can come in as young players with college experience that can still be foundational players, as opposed to yes. grabbing a graduating senior or a, whatever you want to call it, a grad student to come in and play quarterback for you for a year. And he's not really a foundational piece. He's just a, a placeholder and probably better than the sophomore you have who's not quite ready to play or whatever the case may be. Now you can look around, find a guy who went to a school. They over-recruited at a certain position. He didn't make the cut. He wants to get out, get somewhere else and play. That's good for the Bulls, but is there a team anywhere in America that that's not good for? Like, there's no actual edge there. It's helpful as a coach to be able to have a little bit more veteran presence, but everyone else can do it too. So, is there any advantage to a program in a Mac school to the new new world order of college football, the way that it, it it's headed? Well, you, you the disadvantage obviously is you have to be better at so UB found Jared Patterson and with the transfer rules, the way they are now, and they went out and found Kevin Marks, the transfer rules being the way they are now, the bigger schools, I feel like aren't looking as much as we have to be good at player evaluating high school players, as much as we are player evaluating the math, maybe, the Mac <laughs> or the Sun Belt, and guys that want to get their power five opportunity. On, on the other hand, like you said, there are going to be times where somebody uh, is just look at the first opponent here in Maryland. They have two of the five best receivers in the big 10 and they added the leading receiver from Florida last year. Like those are the three starting receivers. Well, the fifth guy is probably really good. Uh, he ain't going to see the field. And if that guy wants to play, he's got to go somewhere else. And it could be to the benefit of a max school. Um, the Bulls wanted to increase their size, athleticism, a little bit more speed in the secondary. 
well, they brought in a guy from Boston College, Notre Dame, and Florida. And from being at practice, they look awesome. <laughs> they look really, really good. Um, so it can work both ways. It's going to stink that, hey, that was our guy. We found him. Um, the Bulls have been through that before. I hate watching the Vikings and watching KJ uh, get a touchdown. And then the Miami say, Hurricane. There he is, the third man, the third year man from Miami. And it's like, mm, really, it's the fourth year guy out of Buffalo. Like, that, right. that's our guy. That's our guy. Four years with us. He was awesome. He's our guy. Um, yeah, Miami almost serves as a prep school for the NFL in that case. <laughs> right. I mean, that's right. kind of what we're looking at. So, you know, it, it stinks in that regard that you may find a gem and after a couple of seasons, he's gone. But again, player evaluation is starting to shift their importance from all about high school to, all right, you got to be like 65, 35 high school to the teams you're playing. Yeah. <laughs> and and know, know everybody's roster. The reputation of Maurice Linguist coming in is that uh, of a, a great recruiter. What's interesting is that recruiting switches a little bit too, because recruiting is recruiting from other schools in addition to recruiting high school players. So it'll be interesting to see if his skill set in recruiting translates to this sort of new world. Well, I think we I mean, saw so far, it looks like it. it in his first class. I think what, we saw is what we're going to see, which is there's the two signing periods, the early signing period there in like mid to late December. And then the one, the traditional one in February. And I think the way that he's going to approach it is just like he did 15 to 17 high school players. And then he's not, he's going to hold some of those spots so that if guys leave the program, he has the numbers to backfill it. And if other guys leave other programs, he's got the opportunity to go out and get them as well and bring them in. I, I think that you just, instead of saying we're going to try and get 23 high school players and leave two spots open for something happening. I just, I don't think you can do that anymore. Uh, because, 15 and 10 or something. Yeah. Yeah. You have to leave it 15 to 17 and then leave the rest because you just don't know what's going to happen. Guys can just leave with, you know, there used to be the one year penalty and that's gone now. What uh, what part of this Bulls team would a casual fan recognize? Someone who watched every game last year, um, but isn't a, a psycho football guy like you. You could tune in and not recognize this team at all on Saturday, right? I mean, it's it's going to be a whole different look. There are a couple players here and there, but generally speaking, it's a new Bulls team. Certainly on offense. Certainly, you tune in on offense, you'll you'll recognize Keon. Yeah, Keon Williams is still there. The big Mike, um, <laughs> the big um, Mike didn't play a lot. We talked about him a lot. We talked about him a lot, but yeah. Um, Gabe Wallace. Okay. Still going to be st still going to be starting on the offensive line. Everybody else is new. <laughs> Everybody else is pretty much brand new. Dylan McDuffie's at Georgia tech. Um, Kyle Van Treese is at Georgia Southern. Uh, like I said, Bensi Polgar, the center is uh snapping high down at uh missouri <laughs> uh you know and graduation and some transfer situations happened at tight end and wide receiver 
So, you know, on offense, two guys, <laughs> two guys, and even really Keon, Keon was new last year. So he's still kind of newish. Ron Cook, Ron Cook will get the start at running back this year, but they're going to use Ron more, I think, as a Swiss Army knife where they're yeah, going to try and his, get his screen his passes. He can slot. play in the slot. They're going to yeah. move him around. They're going to give him his carries. But return game. I think that, yeah. yeah, return game. He's going to be all over. I think the, the one spot that you're going to be able to notice or recognize guys is going to be that front seven on defense. James Patterson has been there. Like if you fell into a coma four years ago, but James Patterson's still playing middle linebacker for the Bulls. Yeah. Um, and his little, bro- his little brother that got thrown in, he's not here anymore. He, he's playing for somebody else. I don't no. know where he wound up. Yeah, he's he's playing for the Commanders. Or little brother. Um, <laughs> um, Dolak got moved into that that middle linebacker position alongside him. They play. They're going to play a lot of nickel. So it's basically going to be the two of them. But he got a lot of playing time. Looked really good, I thought. Pretty sturdy um, there at middle linebacker. And then, you know, the the guys that are rotating up front, Azeel, Max Michelle, Damon Williams, George Wallow. Like, there's going to be all those guys that are still there in that rotation uh, in the front four. Um, and you, they added in Ibrahim Conte, um, edge rusher out of – NC State, who I think is going to be able to flash, especially once we hit conference play. And I'm interested to see some of those lineups that they're going to be able to kind of mix and match and put together. If it's third and seven, how are you going to deal with Conte and Damon Williams on the same side of the field? And Max Michelle, before he got injured last year, if you remember, he wasn't racking up stats, but he was always where he was supposed to be, and it really helped them in the run game. And he got hurt last year, I think it was at Akron. And then after that game, boy, the run defense really kind of suffered after that point. Just They just didn't have enough bodies there on the defensive line. They are going to roll eight deep, really good players on that defensive line. No matter what combination they put out there, they're going to be able to deal with the run and the pass. I think it's going to get fun because eventually if you're in third and long, the bulls are going to find a, a combination that they are going to get to you with those front four. Stat, just back to Max Michelle real quick stats or no, he's a guy that we end up talking about constantly. I mean, whether he made the play or he was the guy who showed up a, a split second late or almost made the play that allowed somebody else to make the play. He's a guy that was a real difference maker when healthy last year for the bulls. And he was a real surprise um, last year. So it'd be nice to see if he's back and healthy and able to contribute the way that uh, uh, the way that he was at peak last year. Um, What is realistic uh, as far as expectations for this team? You know, there are years we've had years where it's like, well, get to a new year's day bowl and then I'll call it a success. I'm not planning. I, I'm I'm making family plans on New Year's Day. Okay, I, I don't expect that this year. But what are the chances of being alive and in the conversation in the last couple games of the year to to get to the top of the Mac East? They're picked. Third. I think it's there. They're picked third. I I I, I think it's there. Um, it's really going to depend on the offensive line, how quickly they're going to be able to gel because going into Maryland, this offensive line has played zero snaps together. 
they just haven't played together. And offensive line is kind of that delicate dance that, you know, the better offensive lines that the Bulls have had, especially the last five years, they played together. They had going into the season, at least three guys yeah. that had played together and then they could plug and play with other guys that had a, some experience in the line and they could bring them along. But there was always that anchor of three guys. These guys are all new. I think as the season goes along, it's going to get better and better because they're playing together. And the quarterback play is going to be the other thing. It was a really tight quarterback battle in camp. They went with Snyder. Um, he's got a little bit of mobility, uh, enough to kind of escape if he has to. And he's got enough arm strength to make some of the throws. I know they want to stretch the field with the new wide receivers that they got. Um, I, I thought it was really tight just from the practices I watched. I was really impressed with Casey Case. I think he's really come along. I think they're going to they're going to have to try and keep him in the program. I mean, we talked about the portal for 10 minutes. Right. I think he's a good player, and I think he could play at several Mac schools for sure. Um, it's just it was a really tight camp, and Snyder, I think, has a little bit of both Case and Myers in him and a little bit more experience. Um, Myers, I think, had a chance to go out and really take a stranglehold on the job at the end of last season. And he fumbled at the goal line in overtime and scored three points on the road against Ball State. Yeah. And in those games had turnovers and had low um, completion percentage. And we've seen and we've talked about it a lot with Matt. He makes some of the best plays and some of some great throws. He's got you up at halftime at Penn State. He also then follows that with a pick six at Penn State yeah. to, to throw the game the other way when you're still leading in the mid third quarter. And he's got some plays where you're like, well, that was an easy. Th- Did you make the one to the corner and not the one on the swing pass? And I think that that's probably the fact that he has a little bit more tape than the other two guys is the difference yeah. there. They, they kind of know what he brings. And while he brings the leadership and the mobility, and I still think that we probably might see some of that extra package stuff where he runs to the left. Left, usually left, yeah. Always left, um, actually. <laughs> um, I want that play thrown I, I, out. I think that that's I think that that's the thing that really kind of separated Snyder. They wanted somebody with a little bit higher of a completion percentage, um, someone a little bit more um, efficient. Like Kyle Van Trees. I mean, essentially. Right. There's, right. A, there's a reason that Kyle Van Trees was playing over Matt Myers the last couple of years, and it was his consistency. It wasn't his upside or his flash or anything. He was a good guy. He was a smart guy, but he knew his role and he stayed in his lane and he concentrated and he didn't make a lot of mistakes. And look, I wouldn't have been jumping up and down. Oh my God, they're getting Kyle Van Trees back this year if he was still playing for the Bulls but I would feel very comfortable about the position. And I think that's kind of what KVT gave you. So the closer you can get to that, I think the better for this team that is still figuring out what it is. Yeah. You know, KVT would give you 58 to 60% completion, minimal turnovers. Um, I know that we don't give him credit for being that mobile, but he was mobile enough 
to score down in the red zone sure. when he had to. Sure. And mobile enough that, you know, in like three and a half years of playing, he was sacked like seven times. A lot of that is great offensive line play and throwing 13 times a game and handing off to Jarrett. Yeah. But still, that's him being able to stay alive in the pocket. And I think that they see a little bit of that in Snyder. Um, and Snyder coming from Rutgers, a power five program that uh, where he did get some snaps, nothing significant, but has an opportunity to play now. And they're going to put him in there. He, he's he's had really, really big flashes. Um, but I think he's just been the most consistent through camp. That's why he's he's getting that role as the starter. All right. Um, before I let you go, overall picture in the Mac. Like, what are we staring down? I, it's it's tough, man. I think all predictions are are difficult right now, based on the the transfer rules at this time, um, especially in a conference like the Mac. But I mean, do you have a a strong sense that there are teams to really fear or teams to ignore in the conference, uh, specifically in the East? But talk about out west also. Well, Bowling Green, I think, is a team that we certainly learned last year is can't really mess around with them. I don't think they're good enough to make any type of jump up to the upper class of the conference, but I think that this is by far the most experienced team that they've had in probably four or five seasons. They brought back a lot of guys, and they bring back their quarterback. So. BG is somebody to keep an eye on as far as they're probably going to ruin somebody's season. They'll get one game that, that will impact the race to go to Detroit. Um, and hopefully it's not us. I, I would assume that the bulls will be ready for, for that game after not being ready last year and the fake kneel down at the end where mm-hmm. he ran. I, I hurt. would assume that, yeah, the, the ears will be up on that. They will be ready for that. Akron has a new coaching staff. Really like the hire. They still don't have any players on their team. They've got a lot of guys still returning from last year, but last year's team was still mediocre at best. Ohio, they're kind of having a turnover. Last year, they had a similar situation to the Bulls where late change in coaching kind of in the calendar of the season, even though they kept a guy that had been on staff there for 17 years, it's still a different voice. It's still a different situation. They still have a Rourke at quarterback. So um, they're a team that's kind of sneaky in the weeds, but they are not as talented as they have been in the past. I think the bulls are going to, if they're going to make a run, are going to have to compete with Miami for, for the top spot. Um, Miami is a team that always plays the Bulls tough. And that's Miami has not lost a lot of guys to the transfer. Like Gabbert, I would think could transfer to a power five team, but instead he returns. And I think that he's right now, bar none, the best quarterback in the East and probably in the conference. West side, Toledo has kind of been everybody's consensus pick to win the West. They've got a lot of guys returning preseason camp comes. They lose two starting offensive line linemen, including their starting tackle for the season. That changes things. 
And over the past two seasons, they have had really talented rosters, but have gotten no competent quarterback play. They got to solve it. If they don't have a quarterback, they're still going to end up losing two or three of these random games that you feel like, if you look on paper, they shouldn't be losing. Western Michigan going to have to replace their quarterback, Caleb Elby, um, along with you know Sky Moore and the rest of the crew that they had there last year where they were throwing the ball all over the place. They're still going to be good, not as good as they were last year. Northern, I mean, yeah, they have to come back down to earth. They won like seven games last year were one score or overtime games, including the one in Western New York. And you just have to think that's not going to happen again. <laughs> I mean, look what happened to the Bulls in 08. The next year, those games that they had won the previous season, they didn't yeah. win. They lost to just a couple of them, and it changed the whole season around. I think the same thing with Northern. Um, they're, one of their top receivers got injured. He's out for the year. Um, so that's going to affect them. Pretty sure they still have Lombardi at quarterback. They're going to be good. They're always okay, except for that one season. I just don't, they're not going to, I don't think that they are going to make it back to Detroit. And I, I feel like last year was a miracle season and that just doesn't happen two years in a row. They're not going to get those close wins. At least not all. Right. They're not going to get, they're not going to go seven and zero in those games. They right. might go three and three and get some of them and be exciting. Right. You're supposed they're to get going, three. They're not getting all of them. No, like you're supposed year, to get three, and then we never talked about it. Yeah, I know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, and then Ball State has some turnover. You know, they lost a lot of guys. A lot of that crew that won the the championship in 20 um, are gone now. They have to get a new quarterback, so I would assume that they're going to kind of recycle back down towards the, the lower end. And Eastern Michigan has some interesting pieces. They are one of the schools that have had some pretty good continuity on their coaching staff, you know, them in Miami, really. Um, they've been able to keep everybody together for the most part. And Eastern is the anti-Northern where they just constantly lose three point games where they have a chance to kick a field goal late to go up 10 and it gets blocked in return for a touchdown. Or, you know, just they have the most ridiculous losses where the last like three seasons, if Eastern flipped those, they would have been in Detroit almost all three seasons. They've been really, really close. I don't think they, they can get there. I don't think they have the beef and the size on defense to get there. But it's another team that can really throw a wrench into your plan. They can put up a fight. And the Bulls are going to see them early on in the season, which we've seen when those two teams get together early on in the season, it's usually a pretty entertaining game. I mean, they, when they faced a couple of years ago, it was a 35, 28 game. That was, that was a really exciting, there was a lot of big plays in that game. So um, the Bulls will get a taste of Eastern early on. One last thing, we got to wrap this thing up, but um, in the interest of bowl eligibility, interesting year this year as, out of conference, the Bulls go on the road three times instead of twice. And when you're right. trying to get to six or seven to really secure a spot, that could be a factor and something to keep an eye on. So you're hoping the Bulls can pull something off here in Maryland or at Coastal or, or certainly at UMass to kind of level that thing and bring it back. 
obviously UMass is the primary candidate there. Um, you know, win your home game uh, against an FCS opponent and, and get yourself on track. Two and two, always the goal coming out. It's out of order this year because of the way things are scheduled, but um, that's going to be a factor when we're thinking about bowl eligibility, which we always are with this Bulls team for the last several years. Scott Wilson, enjoy Maryland. I'll talk to you on Saturday, and hopefully I'll see you next week at the home game. All right, yeah, feel better.